Good Gab, sponsored by Skillskin, a nonprofit organization empowering individuals with disabilities through employment. Today is a great day. Good <laughs> afternoon, everybody. Uh, today we have Pia Hallenberg. She is a content writer in the cybersecurity space. Get ready, because today's going to be a big one. Be ready to understand this world a little bit better. Uh, Pia, thank you for joining us. I'm happy to be here. It's always lovely to talk about this thing that I write about. Well, I'm just I'm super excited to have you this morning. <laughs> I know our listeners. We've been waiting. You were a part of one of the first podcasts. You were just sitting I just was. to our left. I was. It was very cool. Yep. Dana was like, come on on. Yeah. Today it. is the day. <laughs> Today's the day. So yeah, no, we're I so love excited. It. I love talking yeah. about what I do. And you just and got back from traveling, right? I did. I just came back from Denmark. Is that, uh, was that home? That's home. I grew up there. So I was 25 when I left Denmark. And today I'm older than 25. <laughs> you can't tell. Um, it's, how, it's 30 years ago. How, a little more than 30 years ago. So How long has Spokane been home? Um, let's see. I moved to Washington, D.C. in 91 and spent a couple of years there. And that's where my son is born. And then um, I moved to Spokane in January of 95. Oh, you've been here for a so while. So I've been here for like 30 years, yeah. basically. Uh, more or less. And Spokane looked a lot different back then, let me tell you. Yeah, you've seen the big change. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, if you can imagine coming from Europe to Washington, D.C., and then, you know, a couple of years later to Spokane. And I came here because my ex-husband has, a, he's a professor at Eastern. Okay. And so that's how that happened. Um, I would have preferred to stay on the East Coast um, at the time, especially because I was... Uh, home alone with a toddler and I just sort of found my feet in a new country um, and then it was like oh honey let's move across the country uh, to which, a new country to a it's place <laughs> that I had never heard of and couldn't even find on a map right and I was like are you kidding me uh, he was not kidding and so that's how I ended up here and it was a big it was a big change um the good thing that came out of that was, well, actually, I was maybe we got here in 93, now that I think about it. I think we did, because I started school at Eastern in um, 95. Okay. Because I was like, I have to do something. I, cannot, I, I can't be home with a toddler, and I love all the parents who are staying home with their children. I think it's a wonderful thing. Uh, for me, it was never part of the plan. So it was, uh, those were some difficult years. So you were at the Cheney campus then, because they I weren't was. in Spokane yet in 95, um, they had, just it starting? Was, oh, God, it yeah. was a big commotion because they owned a building downtown that some president of the college had bought or whatever. I remember. And they were trying to get out of that, and they couldn't sell it, and blah, blah. It was very confusing. So I took some classes downtown, actually, uh, magazine writing classes and things like that. But mostly I was in Cheney. And I, I like to say that it was before they paved campus. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, it looked different, man. It looked different. Um, it was also at a time where you could, I walked into the registrar's office and I said, hello, I would like to sign up for college. And they said, okay. And they said, what would you like to take? Which classes would you like to take? And I <laughs> said, like, well, let's open up the um, book. <laughs> how about some English classes? And she was like, okay. And I'm like, do I need to take a test or something? She's like, oh no, hon, you'll be fine. And I was like, 
okay. <laughs> and then you paid, you know, 200 bucks or something. It was, it was very different. But I had the best time at Eastern. I really did. I got a degree in, I got a double degree in sociology and journalism in like three years. Or awesome. Something because, oh yeah, so you're loving it. Like, Here we go. <laughs> I'm like an overachiever, but I, I've had a, I had the best experience. And I think that I always, if I make a little bit of fun of Eastern, just a tiny little bit, I always remember to say that because it really was the foundation for everything I've done. Um, when I graduated in 98, I was, my first job was at the Inlander and I was at the Inlander for six years. Um, I was hired as a in writer. 98. So that's when the publication was really starting to get new, built up. Brand new newspaper. Yeah. It was like, that's exciting times. It was like a year old, I think. And it was, oh my gosh, we worked our tails off, but it was also a time when the paper really grew, um, which was wonderful to be part of. And also, um, you know, it's, it's a little growth is like sometimes difficult, you yeah, know, you painful. have <laughs> painful, you have to figure out what are you going to do? I mean, they sold so much advertising that the page count grew from 20 to 40 to 60 to 80 in like two years. And so what do you do? Right? <laughs> you know, you have to fill those pages. Absolutely. Well, um, that was a watershed moment for our community oh, from yeah, my perspective, because as you were graduating Eastern, you passed the baton to me because that's oh. when I went out there Okay. and uh, also a foundational area. And yeah. I just, oh, I wouldn't be who I am without Eastern. No, I'm the um, same. It's the same thing. I mean, I will always be grateful. <laughs> and I, I mean, and people are like, oh, well, Eastern, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, you have to you can make a lot out of those opportunities. I mean, I couldn't go to Columbia or whatever. It wasn't possible. I couldn't get the spokesman to hire me when I graduated because <laughs> they only hired from like the fancy colleges. Right. But um, Inlander and I remember Rosars because that was my grocery store at the time. And I saw that first, <laughs> uh, you know, paper. The first rack, yeah. It was just so, I was like, what is this? And yeah. I'm like, okay, changes yeah. up changes afoot yeah. Spokane is doing something yeah. it was I love really, that you that was you were part of that yeah moment. yeah it was the, the paper <laughs> was like a year old or maybe two years old <laughs> when I started there it was it was very cool man we worked let me tell you there wasn't a lot of people and so it, it's um I mean I was there I was a reporter but then I fairly quickly became the associate editor and so I managed uh all the news writers and all the content and I also kind of straddled the um there's like a firewall between advertising and editorial. You know, you, they okay. don't talk to each other. Ideally, it's changed, but ideally, they don't talk to each other. To not influence yes. the news. Okay, and so, that makes sense. And so I, I kind of straddled that a little bit um, when we had to, and it was it was very cool. It was very cool. It's um, I did everything. I even delivered the paper. Um, not on a regular basis, but <laughs> when you needed to, you <laughs> stepped I, in. <laughs> when uh. I had to, when you know the drivers called and said, "Oh, my truck broke down." I mean, we just we did everything, so it was very cool. I know. So you've been a part of kind of the media landscape for quite some time. Because mm -hmm. I, I went oh. from the Inlander then to to the spokesman. So when I'd been there for six years, the the spokesman actually came to me and said, "Have you ever thought of working somewhere else?" And I was like, mm, "I don't know." And so. I think it was in 2004, I became the features editor at The Spokesman. And so that was another 
big transition because I had no daily newspaper experience. And that's a different animal. It's a different animal. And suddenly I had wire access and like photographers and, you know, things what like that. What is this? I was like, Resources. What is this, what is this paradise that I walked into? Uh, and I had a fantastic staff, um, amazing writers. I mean, some of the most incredible writers like Jim Kirshner and um, Paul Turner. Um, there, there was a, just the people come to mind. Um, and it was, was really... Doug Clark part of that group back then? Uh, not really. Okay. Doug was always under the newsroom. So not really. He, I didn't have any influence with him, but... Um, he was a neighbor of my parents. So oh, it's yeah. Like, yeah just, that's what I knew him. Yeah. <laughs> No, it was it was a big it was a big change also yeah. because everybody on my staff was what well, quite a few were senior, you know, compared to me. I was like a young young woman from an, a weekly newspaper and it was um, here I am. I'm going to make it, it happen. Was, <laughs> it was an interesting uh, transition. Uh, it was an interesting transition, but I, I don't think I was hated. I, I prefer to think that I was fairly well liked by my staff. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, that's when I, you had some features in there yourself. Yeah, and it you, was great. You wrote a lot. <clears throat> I know I that's when mm-hmm. I uh, kind of got some awareness and I saw your name. Your name is, is unique. Yeah. It's yeah. Different. So I was like, oh, who's Pia? Yeah, it's different. Yeah. So, no, I think, I mean, it was, I love newspapers. I will always love newspapers. And I, I mean, of course, you know, then the question is, why did I leave journalism? Well, I left journalism because it became very personal. And I was never in it for that. I was never, ever, ever in it for that. I was always in it for the story. Um, I had no desire to promote myself. And, you know, seeing my name in print means nothing to me. The, the, the story was always what meant something to me. Um, Probably but, what made you a hell of a journalist. <laughs> well, but then you got social media, right? And I realized pretty early on that if I didn't participate in social media, um, I surely would not survive as a journalist. And so without really thinking about it, I became kind of the social media person for the newsroom because there was a lot of reporters at the time who did not want to have anything to do with that. And so I became the one who was like kind of... You know, oh, let's get a hold of that lady from the newspaper. You know, that became me. And with that comes um, a lot of unpleasant interaction. Uh, to, I, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I can only imagine. It was, um, it was a lot. And I just kind of soured on the whole thing. I was like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it anymore. So, well, so how did you get into this space <laughs> of, you know, cybersecurity? Because it's certainly interesting. <clears throat> it's certainly, you know... Extremely important. You know, I've always been a little bit of a nerd. Um, Back in in the DOS days, uh, that's an operating system that Microsoft had. Yeah, I remember. It took about a million years to boot. (laughs) Back in the DOS days, (laughs) I actually sold small computer networks uh, to small businesses uh, back in the old country. And so I've always had that sort of nerdy, I'm the one who becomes the super user in your new computer system really quickly. I don't know why, but it's just how it's always been. It's in your blood. And so I, I took, I spent some time doing some, uh, I worked for an animal organization here in Spokane for a couple of years. I did fundraising, um, which I also liked, but it was just not a good fit for me. And I left not knowing exactly what I was going to do, except some freelance writing. <clears throat> and so I did a lot of writing for um, basically any local newspaper or any local publication who wanted me. I, I, and those checks are small. They are tiny, but I loved every single little check I got from anybody. Absolutely. 
uh, you have to start somewhere. And then a friend of mine who's been doing the cybersecurity writing for a long time, she got a hold of me and she said, you know, you really should do this. It's super cool. I mean, you can totally do it. And I was like, oh, my God bunch of engineers you know I mean no I don't know and she's like there's this agency they are looking for writers why don't you call them and I did and they hired me on the spot I can see why lay people like myself and other organizations (laughs) like we need that person who can explain it like we're five because we are five yes and so I so I think I mean so that was like super intimidating and when you work remotely you don't really have um, the one thing that's really cool about a newsroom is that you have people around you and so if you are um, trying to figure out how to do something or you're not entirely sure does this sound right you know is this there's always someone you can you can talk to in a good newsroom there's always someone you can talk to and so it was really difficult for me to sit at home and start writing about these ransomware attacks and and all these abbreviations that I didn't know what was and I was like oh my god what did I get myself into but you know, it was like learning a new beat. And I find it super interesting. And it's nice to, again, be part of a business that's growing. Um, well, certainly for, is. It for, is. <laughs> for all the wrong reasons, perhaps, but uh, it is definitely growing. And so um, that was, yeah, that was my first client was a software company called Reciprocity. And they do um, cybersecurity for they had customers like Alaska Airlines mm-hmm. and things like that. And so it was it was really interesting. So that's how I got started. Well, it is certainly the issue of today. <laughs> I know it keeps, uh, you know, our CFO up at night because yeah. just so many things can happen. It's, and it's just, a, I don't know, it's just never ending. People trying to like uh, get into your systems. It's never ending. I will, um, I'll blow your mind for a second here. So there's a place called the Dark Web which is part of the internet, um, it's legal, and it's completely ac- accessible. I mean, if you want to go on the dark web, you can. But it's where um, the people who run like the ransomware attacks and steal the passwords, and that's where they sell their stuff. Yeah, you can buy like lists of credit cards, mm-hmm. right? There is, yeah. there is nothing that you can't buy. Literally nothing that you can't buy on the dark web. Um, and so... The economy on the dark web today is estimated as the third largest economy on the planet after the United States Dang. and China. So, so you need to, you know, one of the biggest hurdles with cybersecurity is that people, most people still think that, you know, you're dealing with a, a 16-year-old who's sitting in his mom's basement drinking a lot of Red Bull and eating pizza, and, and you're not. You're dealing with a full-fledged company. Eating caviar, because that's a lot of money. Eating caviar, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Traveling to, you know, Aruba, you know, the cool places. Um, You're not dealing with some lone... um, There's this myth of the hacker as this, like, cyber Robin Hood, you know... It's the trope you see on TV, right? And the movies. Oh, Lord. But it's not true. Just poke my eyes out. I mean, it is not true. Um, There's so much money in this fraud that... um, some of the biggest, especially ransomware, some of the biggest ransomware companies, they will sell you a ransomware package. Okay, hang on here. Let's say you leave your wonderful employer, but you're really mad because there was like that one person and something happened. That never happens to you. And you were just like so tired of them. You can buy a ransomware package on the dark web for like 1,200 bucks. 
they will customize it to attack either the person or the company that you pick. And then you can decide what you want to do once they get in, because they will get in. I mean, pretty much. Um, For $1,200. Yeah, 1200 bucks. Mm-hmm, right there. So like it's accessible. Too. Oh yeah, it's accessible. You can, and, and they have customer service. So you can call and say, I'm sorry, you didn't get in. I don't know what's going on. And they'll be like, oh, hang on for a minute. Let's see. Oh yeah, we didn't encrypt that correctly. Get it, give us a chance. Let's try again. And they will get in. Well, you're right. My mind is blown. <laughs> so, so, so I think that's one of the things that's happened with the cybersecurity thing that when you say hacker, people automatically think, Oh, it's some high school student. And no, it's not. This is a professionalized industry. Professionalized industry. Yes, sir. So mm-hmm. how do you protect yourself? Well, basically, you can't. I mean, you can... I shouldn't say that. All my clients are screaming right now. <laughs> because, you know, they, they make a living making software that'll protect you. Um, but let's look at it this way. On average... An adult person in the United States has somewhere between 60 and 100 password protected accounts. Sounds right. Yeah. And it's so that's a combination of, you know, your your banks, your investment accounts, your Costco, you know, I mean, an, or, email, I mean, email yeah. you know, everybody has like three or four different email accounts, accounts at work and LinkedIn. I mean, it, it adds up very, very quickly. Um, and... To this day, the most common password in the United States is? One, two, three? One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, no. Yes, sir. It's, just, it's so the hard to second, believe. The second most common password in the United States is? I read it. Is it password? It's password. Oh, how? how, how? And so I'm like, all right, people, I feel sorry for you that you got hacked. And also, I don't. Because you should not have a password like that. No. Okay. So let's start right. Let's start there it, with the, the, the person. What can the person do? The person can have a real password. Also, and this goes without saying, don't share your password with other people, especially not in the work environment. Right. How many, I, I bet we've all done it. Oh God, I can't log into the photo system. Who has it? Can I log? Can I log in as you? Don't do that. Do not do that. Do not share your passwords. Find a way that you can create one and keep it. Um, don't write it on a post-it and stick it on your computer screen. It's, it's a bad idea. If you want to actually protect your passwords, the best thing you can do is get a password keeper. And I don't, I don't make um, software recommendations. There's tons of them available. They all kind of function the same way. You have one password that protects everything that's inside of it. Or you can make yourself a little spreadsheet in your phone and you can password protect that. That's also fairly secure. That makes sense. We, I just have awareness now around like these password keepers Mm -hmm. and uh, we use one at our work and it's changed, you know, my approach to security for sure. Yeah. Because now, you know, it will make long randomized numbers. And I didn't do that before. I was one of the bad people. I didn't have those two passwords, but mine were pretty weak. We've we've all, I mean, and and that's, you know, we were just kind of talking about that. You know, there's like this shame around staying safe on the internet and there's no shame. I mean, you're not up against a person who's trying to hack into your account. You're up against a computer. Okay, and the computer can process, it can try, you know, thousands of combinations in a second. So, so you're not, 
up against some guy who's much smarter than you are. You are up against a piece of software on a computer who, and this is the only thing it does all day, it's 24-7. relentless. Relentless. It will get in. So, so, I mean, as a person, you can start by having a good password. The second thing, and this is the old-fashioned DOS person in me speaking right now, I will never, I always share this tip, turn your computer off, okay? When you go, yeah. home, at, when you go home at night, heart boot, turn everything off, unplug all the stuff. You won't need it until tomorrow. It'll take a few minutes to lock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, you have to plug a few things in and all that. But what happens when you turn your computer off is the moment you turn it on again, like you have to do a hard boot. You have right. to like really turn it off. The, the reset. Yeah, log or, out. Log out, that, log out of it. everything. Close all your software you down. You want that light on your computer to turn off. Yes. And you want to listen to a little fan and it goes and it stops, right? That's what you want. You want dead computer. Then when you plug it in the next morning and you start up the next morning, it, the computer is going to go out and look for updates. It's going to say, okay, is there an update anywhere? And now everybody's going, oh, I hate updates. Well, you might want to change your perspective on updates, okay? Because when Microsoft sends out an update, it's because there's a patch. It's because there's a hole in the software. They found the hole. You need to run the update to patch that hole so nobody can hack you. So when I see a computer where it says there are 17 updates waiting since 1983, no, you need to do your updates. That is a simple tool. Simple. Just turn it off. Yeah. And do your updates. Huh. Sometimes, last time I did one, it took half an hour, 45 minutes. And you just go get coffee, I mean, and let the computer do its thing. The, the software companies don't send out up, uh, updates to annoy you. They send them out because they're, like, terrified that some dude is going to get into that hole and then we're going to have the whole thing, right? So it's really, really important to keep your software updated. It's, they don't send you a new operating system because they think it's funny. They send you a new operating system because there's something wrong. And if, you, <laughs> and if you don't update, you're toast. So um, that's, those are like very simple things that you can do. But, well, that's an incredible tips and tricks. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just something happened to me the other day. I was, uh, I got a text message on my phone saying oh. it was my CEO. It was an emergency. <laughs> <And it wasn't. laughs> no, but it like, it, it made me feel yeah. like a call to action. I could feel it in my body. Mm -hmm. Then my, you know, brain had to take over and be like, well, this is BS. No, stop. Yeah. But, well, so maybe, so, you know, maybe that's something else to, to talk about. Like I've gotten those text messages too. And I had, I got one from uh, a client I worked for last year. One day, suddenly, here's a text message from the CEO. And she, she, you know, quotation marks, is like, oh, Pia, can you help me? I'm at a, a conference in um, Florida somewhere. And, and I was like, this is so odd. I've not worked for her for eight months. She has never texted me before, ever texted me before, never, never why would she even have my phone number? And why would she even text me? I mean, you, you have to like stop when you get something like that. You have to stop yourself and be like, what is the likelihood that this is actually happening? Like in your case, yeah. your, your CEO would probably call you. Right. I mean, if, if he or she was, was desperate to get a hold of you, they probably wouldn't text you. Um, so that's, 
an example of something that's called phishing. And it is someone or social engineering, somebody who's pretending to be someone they're not, and they're just trying to get you to click on some stuff. Well, I think that's another tip, like you're saying, is just pause just a yes. little bit. Mm -hmm. Let your logical brain mm -hmm. take over instead of just doing what we do. We get notifications, <laughs> we take action. We're like, do 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 Yeah, no, don't We're do little that. robots in our oh, own self. Oh my gosh, just don't stop. do that. Just stop for a second. And if you're in an <laughs> office with other people, or if you are, even if you work remotely and you're on Slack with your the rest of your group or something, uh, send them a message and say, hey, uh, where's Bob? You know, I got a text from quote, you know, Bob, uh, is he really trying to get a hold of me? Uh, so you can, you know, stop yourself from, from clicking on some of those things. Uh, it's a very, very common tactic. And I think if you are not as sophisticated, um, maybe if you are, uh, if you're not in a work environment, um, the next time you go and see your bank or drop some deposit off of your bank or whatever, talk to them and say, so, in case something happens to my account, how are you going to get a hold of me? Great question. Yes. So, and that's especially, is an especially good question for those of us who have uh, parents who are elderly, like my parents are all in their 80s and things are difficult and it, it happens really quickly. And so I think it's important to, to ask, ask your bank, ask your investment. If you have an investment person, ask them, how are you going to get a hold of me? Because then when you get that weird email, you know, it's not real. Yep. And so, you know, it, it's, that's a little thing you can do to kind of, to help protect yourself. And your bank is not going to text you. I mean, they're just not. It's, they may send you an alert and say, something's up, call this number, call the number. Do right. not click on the link. Okay? Do not put in the last four digits no. of your account. No. <laughs> Snort. Uh, do not, do not do that. And, you know, and so, you know, people often say, well, nobody cares about me. I'm not interesting. I don't have any data. What do they want my stuff for? Well, they don't really care if they're hacking into like the hospital, for instance, the hospitals are big targets. Um, if they're hacking in the hospital or the college, the colleges were huge targets this fall. I mean, it was, it was yeah, terrible. Yeah, saw in the newspaper just Whoop. It was terrible. Over and over it and over It was like again. every day there was a new college. It was like they, the hackers discovered a new field, right? They don't, and medicine too, yeah, right? Yeah. They don't care if you're on antidepressants or if you had a, uh, you know, appendicitis or, or, you know, I don't know, athlete's foot. They don't care about that. What they want is your personal information and they know at a university or a hospital or a doctor's clinic, they can get all your stuff. And your start name, to build a profile. Uh-huh. You can your name, your address, your phone number, your social security number. In some cases, they can even get access. You might have a financial account that's connected to all that. They can use that for a lot of fun things. They can open all kinds of credit cards and, you know, use it to try and access um, say your Google account. I think I was watching some program, maybe 60 minutes, something like that. But it said that as you build a profile and some of this uh, scraping the data, they'll just hold on to it. Oh, and yeah. then eventually when other data comes and yep. it starts to create a bigger picture of yep. what that person is. Mm -hmm. They never that let it is go. terrifying. It should be. Yeah. You better be scared. <laughs> and, and, and be prepared. Yeah, be prepared. I mean, and, and I think that, um, you know, if you are, if you use a shared computer, like if you log in to check your email um, in a public space, like at the library or something, make sure you log out. Always, always, always log out. Log out of everything, like physically log out of everything. 
Um, it's like closing the garage door. You just is. don't leave your garage door open. It, we all it, know that. <laughs> just log out. It's the same thing. And and if you, for instance, hmm. if you check your social media on a shared computer, which many people do, and you know, at a, a computer cafe or something, maybe you're traveling, you don't have your laptop, you know, what do I know? Um, make sure you log out of your accounts because on a social media platform like Facebook, you're basically naked. Yeah. You have no protection. So we can just, let's just talk about that right now because people are like, oh, well, my Facebook is private. Like, no, it's not. Okay, just stop. Don't even, if you take a photo and you share it on Facebook, it belongs to everybody. It will go places you cannot even imagine. And you may as well just wrap your mind around that. It's, again, when you sign those user agreements, you basically sign over all your rights. Yeah, it's not yours. It's not yours. And also, Facebook is free to you because it's selling your data. That's why Facebook is free. Okay, that's why you and I don't have to pay anything. It's because whenever I go on Facebook and I look for you know, horseback riding in Idaho or something, they sell that information to, you know, companies that are trying to sell me stuff. Yeah, you can't have a multi-billion dollar industry and no dollars coming in. I'm sorry, nobody's <laughs> doing it just to make you happy, okay? Oh, come on. <laughs> There's, and so, and that's also why, you know, if you're on your computer and you're looking for ski poles and then all of a sudden you get all the ski pole ads on Facebook, it's not magic. It's just... They sold the data to the person who was selling you ski poles. Well, you so. reminded me of something <laughs> in my past life. I used to just travel like, you know, Sunday through Thursday on the selling medical supplies. And uh, I remember going into business centers in the hotel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so many people left their uh, uh-huh. social media stuff up. Yep. And I would be lying if I didn't say I clicked around because I was just kind of curious. Why not? But I didn't realize, like, I could have probably just taken control of the account, oh, yeah, right? Absolutely. I just changed the password. Yeah, and... absolutely. And, and so, you know, not to, like, wow. pick, not to pick on Facebook, but it's a common, lots of people get cloned or hacked or whatever. And yeah, it's happened to me. Yeah, it goes back to, again, have a solid password. Don't share it with anybody. Update your passwords, you know, once a month or something. And... Don't click on any of those games, you know, like, oh, what is your zodiac sign tell you about next year? It's all just to get, it's all about getting access to your data. It's not a game. Makes I sense. mean, they just want to know who you are. And so don't do that. And if you, you know, if you get hacked, if you, let's back up. So people say they got hacked, but they really didn't. They got cloned. Somebody took their their photo and created a new account that looks like them. So that's not hacked. If you get hacked, somebody's actually in your messages. If you get hacked, as far as I know, as I'm sitting here today, honest to God, there's not much you can do. Facebook is not going to help you. You will probably, if you Google what to do when I get hacked on Facebook, you'll get a spam link. You'll get a fake link that'll make you, they'll ask you for money and they promise you that they can recover your Facebook attack, your Facebook account and they're lying. It's not true. It's over. Any, anything that has to happen on Facebook has to go through Facebook. So if you're so that unfortunate, I can think of a handful of people in my close knit group of friends who are in this position right now where someone got into their account and they don't have control of the account. The best thing you can do is start over. 
And to those of us, including myself, who take a lot of pictures and post them on Facebook or on Instagram, make sure you have those photos somewhere else. Because if you lose your account, they're gone. You lose your photos too. Makes sense. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I'm, I still haven't, I'm, I'm trying to find a way to easily back up all the photos, but it, you, I can't really, I found one, but it was a little, it got a little squirrely. Um, <laughs> I found a way to do it, but it was, I don't think I was supposed to be doing that. So I couldn't quite make it work. Um, but remember to back up your photos somewhere else because otherwise they're gone. You'll never get them again. Um, and, and that's and, where they all live, right? It's well, and no so, one has so them okay. So yeah, so that's the issue, right? Because we all trust that our Facebook account is safe and everything's good. And I don't mean to like scare people. I don't want you to have nightmares. I just want you to be like a little more practical about it and maybe be like, okay, maybe I should take all my photos from my phone and put them in a Dropbox or put yep. them on a, a, an external drive, put them in the cloud. So if my Facebook goes away or my Instagram goes away, then at least I still have the photos. Um, because more likely than not, there's nothing you can do. Nothing thing you can do well as the technology evolves as the sophistication <laughs> of, of this evolves we have to evolve too that's what yeah I'm, that's what i'm hearing yeah yeah we do and so the other thing i mean speaking of keeping your stuff safe right anything that offers you a two-factor authentication do that my like, company's big on that and yeah. I, at first i was like this is such a pain but now i realize i was an idiot <laughs> no, you are not an idiot. I mean, no, we're, I mean, we're all creatures of habit, right? And we're like, oh God, I have to stay, take another step. Blah. You know, we don't want to do that. But what, what two-factor authentication does is it combines your password and your profile name, you know, bob at bobswork.com and your password and something you have in your hand, your cell phone. Yep. And so right there, it makes it a lot more difficult to hack into that. Um, I it, started turning that on on the, the, my personal stuff yep, too now. Yep, just, yep. I have it on I'm, my Facebook. I have it everywhere. Everywhere they offer it, I take it um, because I'm like, you never know. And, and Facebook, was that was complicated in the beginning because it didn't quite work. Typical Facebook, you know, oh, let's launch something. And it's like... <laughs> But now it works just fine. And so I, that's another thing you can do. And your bank for sure will offer that. Um, if you can create uh, some financial accounts have like tokens. Um, it's a little, it seems a little wonky when you first get into it. And it's like, what is your token? Is like a flower or something. But it's the same principle that it combines your account information with something you have or something you chose that only you know what is. And so... That's um, uh, a good thing. What is going to happen, though, over the next, I don't know, what is it? Well, it was like 23 or something over the next three or four years. <clears throat> I know that Microsoft has as a goal uh, that there will be no more passwords. Oh, wow. So you will sign in with your fingerprint or your, or your eye scan or something. Kind of um, like what the, the newer phones are doing. Yep, yep. Facial recognition or something. Um, that was, I, I just, I wrote a... a white paper about some of that stuff and it's very cool um 
And it's probably more secure, let's face it. Um, I know I had to get over myself at one point. I'm like, <laughs> I am never putting my a fingerprint in a phone. I was that guy for a long time. I still time. haven't done it. I did it on my old phone. I don't. I did it on my old phone. I don't do it on this one because it annoys me. And I haven't done the facial recognition either because sometimes I wear glasses and sometimes I don't. And the AI is not quite there where it can... It can figure that out. Well, like I said, think. in three or four years, it will be. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, that's their goal. No more passwords. Because, wow. I mean, if you think about it from the software company's perspective, it's a nightmare. I mean, hello, millions of people who change their passwords all the time, and they can't remember how to log in, and, and they thought they changed it, but they didn't. And, I mean, it's a whole, whole administrative nightmare. So they would love to get away from passwords, like like passwords. Yeah, just from typing. a cost perspective, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yep. We're very motivated by money. I'm curious as you, you know, you, you really yeah, work through this world. Like a lot of our listeners, you know, they're running companies, they're involved in nonprofits, like they don't have big budgets Mm-mm. to be able to protect themselves from a company perspective. Yeah. Do you have any advice there? I do. Um, first of all, I, I think most companies would be surprised um, if they... Um, if they really dedicated some time to finding out what safety or security options are available in the software they already have, I think many companies would be surprised because the software providers, um, whatever specialized software you use, um, the software provider is interested in keeping you as a client. So So they're interested in keeping you safe. What happens is if you buy a specialized software, let's say like a CAD program, for instance, um, people are so focused on getting it installed. Let's get it up and running. We can't wait. You know, time is money, da, 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 da. And then you just kind of whoop, go that way. But many of the software programs you have already have safety features that are built in that you're just not using. So if I was a small business owner and I was concerned about that, I would start by getting a hold of the software companies and going, we're really concerned about our computer safety are we using the software in the correct manner? That is a low barrier to entry. That just Very, takes time. Just takes time. And it just, you know, they all want to keep you. They all want to keep you happy. And they may say, well, you can use this password, you know, this restriction over here or whatever. There are different, I'm not going to get super technical, but there are different ways in which you can set up your, um, your network. So if you get hacked in one area... Uh, the hackers can't get into the next area, okay? And some of that stuff is just built into these big programs. I mean, customer service programs or sales programs. I mean, they have some of these features. They may just may not be activated. And that's awesome. Yeah, you can get the partitioning and things yep. of that nature yep. Uh, yep. for little to no cost. Yep. So that's, yes. that's why I would start. I would say, hello, I'm using your customer service software. I mean, what the hell? Um, and can you help me set it up in a more safe manner? So that was, that's the first thing I would do. Um, and then I would have, I would do some serious training. The most common scam, um, well, that's not, well, there's two, two ways that hackers get into your system and they're so pedestrian that it's not even funny. One way is by getting access to accounts that have not been closed. So when Lydia leaves, you need to shut down her profile on your network, okay? Right away. Like as soon as she gets up and says, this was lovely, 
you better go in and shut that thing down. And it's not, not about cleaning it up once a year. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just got a hot flash. No. Uh, as soon as a person leaves and, and some people hesitate to do that because it seems vindictive or it seems like we don't like them. You have to get your emotional uh, convolutions out of this. You know, don't go. No, it is for your own safety. You have to delete the old accounts because there are old credentials floating around out there. And there are people on the dark web who specialize in getting a hold of those. And if you're not paying attention, they just get right in. And then they get into your system like a normal user. That's pretty. Yeah, it doesn't matter what software no. it is. They so, think you're a user. So, so that's, the, that's uh -huh. the one way they get in. The other way they get in is by this thing called phishing. They send an email that looks like it's from sometimes from your own HR department, or it looks like it's from the phone company, or it looks like it's some other trusted entity that's maybe sending you a bill or something. And if you click on the link, you're toast. So to, to know, to tell the difference, um, if you get a bill all of a sudden, or let's say you get a bill, suddenly it comes into your email, and you're like, I've never paid my own phone bill before. Uh -huh. Call the people in your office who are dealing with the phone bills and say, um, I got an email saying that I'm supposed to pay for my cell phone account. You know, what's going on? Most likely, they just send it to you to see if you would click on some malicious link. And, you know, and that's a way to get into your system. It's and create. that easy. It's very easy. We've all clicked. I clicked on one that looked like AT&T. Um, it's about three years ago. And as soon as I clicked on it, I was like, oh, no. And I unplugged my computer. I, <laughs> I, I physically yanked the plug that out of the wall. Smart. Yeah. And, you know, there was like sparks and everything. But it was, the, it was the only way I could think of to stop any sort of communication. And so um, what I was going to say is that you can really do a lot by, you know, educate your staff. Talk to your people. Um, you know, we talked about shame. Make sure that in your office, in, on your staff, there's a level of trust so nobody is, nobody feels ashamed to say, I clicked on a link. Help. Yep. Help. I, I'm not sure what I did. This, this looks scary. Um, people click on links all the time that are nefarious in, in various ways. And then they're like, oh, nobody's going to know, right? I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just like going to go, I'm going to log out and go get coffee or something. And maybe they won't notice. Well, they will notice, okay? Because they have a log of everything you do. So <laughs> no, so IT let's, doesn't let's, know let's, everything. Let's, yes, they do. So let's just clear that up. They know it was you. Um, so, so it's really, I think from a, a business standpoint, it's really important to have that conversation and say, hey, you know, it's us against them. And they are trying all the time. So, so we have to, we have to talk about these things. And if you think you did something, it's okay. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. It's better to raise your hand four times too many than one time that's not enough. You know, that you, you just really have to uh, really work on that. And then, you know, show people stuff like a phishing email. Well, how can you, how do you know where the email comes from? You can hover over the email address. If it doesn't say ATNT.com, but it says Bob's Basement Brewing or something, you know, that's not a good email. <laughs> Don't click. <laughs> Don't click on that, okay? So, so you can do simple things, and it'll take you a, a, a long way um, to, pr like, protect your systems. And then I also think that um, 
one thing, and I can't believe I'm still talking about this, but I am still talking about this. Um, it's not a four-letter word. It's called backup. I know. I don't have backup in my house. I am the offender. See, there's, there's a shame again, okay? You're not the offender. <laughs> You're just thinking that it's okay, and it probably is okay. But the last newsroom I worked in, it was a huge production for me to get a backup drive. I just had an external hard drive that made a copy of my hard drive every night. Because I was like, I did investigation, I mean, investigative reporting, and if I lose the interviews that I have, I'm dead in the water. Yep. There's nothing I can do. And so, and again, I think it's possible today with the automation and all that to set up some pretty good backup. Um, you have to have people who know how to do that, you know, so you don't like back up the ransomware, right? We don't want to do that. Um, but <laughs> once you get hacked, you know, you don't want to keep it. Um, so you, it, it's a little more technical maybe, but in terms of getting back online, if you are really flattened, as it happened to a local university uh, not that long ago. Not that long ago at all. Whoop. They were mowed down to the bones. There was nothing they could do. Um, in terms of getting back up online, having a backup of your system or your individual computers or however your system is, is rigged together is hugely important. And again, it's one of those things to establish that system and that routine takes time. But man, it's going to take you time to reestablish all, let's say all your customer data disappears. I can't even imagine. Like well, our, our organization, we're government contractors. The oh. amount of data that we have to have. Uh -huh. Nicole Laporte, if you're listening, this is a deep <laughs> felt thank you. Because hot well, dang. Yeah, hot dang. <laughs> I mean, and there's lots of, I mean, if you're a government contractor, there are lots of things that you have to do, oh, yeah. you know, to live up to those standards and be in compliance. Um, so I think that it's, um, it's, it's just so important to talk about these things and, and you may have to prioritize, you may have to say, okay, we can't do all this at once, but we can do staff education on a Friday afternoon. We can do, um, we can't make sure everybody's backed up like once a month. Okay. We can't do it every day, but we can do once a month. Um, we can make sure that we call our software providers and we say, hey, we're super worried. Um, how can we best keep our system safe? Can you help us set something up? They'll be happy to help you. I mean, it's, um, it really is possible. But I think the, the most important thing really is in a, in a work environment is to talk about these things and just be like, it's going to happen. I mean, it's just going to happen. And, and so the question is, can we... Can we talk about it? Can we feel safe around it? Can we try to encourage people to raise their hands and say, darn it, oh, I did this, I don't know, help me. Uh, that is, is so important that you can get some help. I mean, that your staff, like, like there's this trust. Um, well, well I, I, I see it. And listeners, you, you heard it right here. <laughs> this is not on your radar. It needs yeah. to be. Pia, it's just... Uh, uh, 
you are right. My mind is blown. <laughs> um, I'm happy I'm like evolving as a yeah. person. Mm-hmm. I'm happy I'm part of an organization that takes this extremely yes. seriously. Yes. And I know uh, this is a big topic. Yeah. And I hope you well, come back and talk to oh, us I again would love sometime. To. I would love to. Yeah. And I mean, and you deal with a lot of vulnerable yeah. people. And I mean, it's it. I always feel like, oh, I just scare people when I talk about this. But you deal, real. With, you deal with a lot of vulnerable people and they can get taken advantage of in horrific ways. And so it, it's just really, really important to, I mean, if we can just talk about it, I think that's like a big, a big step in the right direction. Heck and yeah. yeah, and just be transparent, you know, when stuff happens, it happens and just be transparent about it. It's the best you can do. And just remember, you're not up against some guy in a basement. You're <laughs> up against a professional run organization that could may or may not be based in Russia, but, uh, you know, that's what you're up against. You're, you're not fighting a teenager with a, a, an, a big laptop. It's a, it's big business. Third in the world. I heard. Yep. On the, yep. Mm hmm. Pia, thank you so much for spending time with us. We you're appreciate welcome. you. And, uh, yeah, we can't wait to learn more. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. I always, I love talking about this stuff. So. Thank you for the opportunity, yeah. and I'm happy to answer questions, you know, if you ever have any. just um, Where can we look you up at? Well, it's, I have a weird name, so it's Pia Hallenberg, and my website is contentbypia.com, uh, so I'm easy to find. Awesome. Thank you. All right.